0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our services here at Bobby Branch. If you are visiting, for those of you who uh, heard my horrible voice this morning and you come back, it's your fault. Uh, but everyone else, thank you for being here uh, tonight as we study God or study about God, worship God, and show God He's worthy. And part of that is digging into the Word. Now, uh, today at Main Street in Manchester, beautiful scene as it always is. I don't know. I didn't hear the number. Around three to four hundred people. A lot of them kids um, that assembled to take a test. Um, yeah, that's fun on a Sunday afternoon. But they did it, and I'm so proud of our team. We had ten kids that uh, participated today. We only missed one question. It was a true or false statement. I'm not a big fan of true or false. As a matter of fact, at school I don't even do true or false. But this was a good statement. And uh, they realized they probably should have got it, but I'm so proud of these ten for showing up. For those showing up for the Bible Bowl study, I really appreciate it. So with that said, that's sort of an introduction into what we're going to do. Uh, Tonight, hopefully I won't get too preachy, but I am probably going to get a little teachy. Now, tonight's lesson is just that. This is a snippet of how I present lessons to at least my high school class upstairs. And we're going to look at John chapter 10 specifically. But before we get started in that, let's back up just a second as we talk about John chapter 9 just a tad. In John chapter 9, Jesus had healed a man. He'd been born blind. So blind all his life. And this man, his neighbors and acquaintances come, and they're this is not him. Well, yes, it is him. And the man finally said, it's me. And so they asked him, well, what's going on? How did this happen? And he told them, Jesus came. Bit on the ground, made some clay, bit on my eyes. And the instructions were, he told me to go to the pool of Siloam, wash, and I see. And that's it. So there's a big division as he's taken his neighbors and acquaintances, take him to to the Pharisees. They're divided. It causes a division among them because Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. And some say, well, see, this man's a sinner. He heals on the Sabbath. But others are saying, well, wait a minute. Has anyone ever born blind gained their sight? So there's a big division going on here between the Pharisees. Well, eventually the man is cast out, excommunicated, if you will, from the synagogue. And that's a certain criteria that he just couldn't do at the synagogue. Well, Jesus goes to find Well, he hears that he's been cast out, so Jesus goes to find him. And Jesus is talking, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, Lord, I don't know who he is. Tell me who he is. You're looking at him and I'm talking to you right now. He's believed and he fell down and worshiped Jesus, which tells me he believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, on the spot. The Pharisees, however, look at John chapter 9, beginning of verse 39. It reads, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, and try to think of this in a very arrogant tone, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. So. As we look at this, how some are viewing Jesus, and how some of these Pharisees are viewing Jesus, it's some of the same things we deal with this very day, all the time. People who are willing to humble themselves versus people who are so prideful, they can't break, they can't see humility, it was right in front of them. Belief versus non-belief. But the big thing here to me is, it's a logical acceptance. Looking at the evidence and logically accepting it versus The Pharisees and others just in a very irrational way denying the evidence right in front of their face. As we think about that, we look at John chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 6. Now, verse 6 talks about Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke. In in Cain's translation, the King James Version says a parable. Uh, If you break that down, it means an allegory. So what's the relevance of this illustration that he gives? Some of the Pharisees, again, look at verse 40 of chapter 9, following Jesus, ask, are we blind also? I could just sense, I could just see them, that arrogant look on their face, that tone in there, and that's how the Greek breaks it down, that's how we should read it. Well, how did Jesus interpret the Pharisees' question? In essence, the Pharisees are saying, we see just fine, Jesus, thank you. But by using this allegory, Jesus exposes just how spiritually blind They were. And not just the Pharisees. There were others. Matter of fact, did they understand what Jesus had said? Look at verse 6. No, they didn't understand what he had said. So as we go into this verse, in these verses, now let's talk about this allegory. Let's talk about this illustration. Again, I'm not going to read it again. But verse 1 to verse 5, Jesus sets up this illustration, this this parable, this allegory, if you will. He says, think about a door into the sheepfold. Now i got this picture I hope it's coming up. I um, found it on the internet, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a good depiction. I'm not really sure where this is at, but it's a good depiction of probably what's happening. And notice that's a pretty good ways away from that. So you've got um, you've got this wall, pretty high wall. How many doors? One, one door. And so um, that's a sheepfold. That's where they keep the sheep. All right. So Jesus says, "There's a door into the sheepfold." There are thieves and robbers. There are those who are going to try to get in. By the way, this is the true or false we missed. I'm just saying. Can't come in the door. They go over the wall. At least attempt it. You've got the shepherd of the sheep. You've got the doorkeeper. King James, our kids remember, the porter who opens the door, opens the gate for the shepherd to come in when the shepherd identifies who he is. You've got the sheep. Alright? So we've got this and and as I was researching this to teach the kids and and think about some of this, uh, reading several eyewitness accounts of shepherds. Like in this sheepfold, you may have different shepherds with different sheep. And a shepherd would walk up and start calling for a sheep. And I don't know how they do it. Here's sheep. I don't know. But they're calling for the sheep. And that those sheep those sheep only would hear the shepherd's voice and come out and follow. Not all the sheep. Just his sheep. Then another shepherd. Then there's other eyewitnesses and, 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 uh, and some uh, illustrations I read where a stranger would come up and some of them would even turn, the sheep would turn their back and wouldn't listen. And that's what Jesus is talking about. But now what's he really talking about? So you look at this image again. You see the sheepfold. You see that high wall. And there's one door. And you see the gate too. Now, What's Jesus talking about? Now let's read. They didn't understand, at least the Pharisees didn't. So he's going to to describe quite vividly, unmistakably, what he's talking about. So let's read verse 7 to verse 18, please. Then Jesus said to them again, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I received from my Father. Now, thank you for reading along with that. Now, let's break this down and look at it. Let's remember, Jesus is addressing these Pharisees who heard him, following and heard him. And and, uh, they understand nothing he said so far about this this allegory. But they must know he's speaking about them. They must know that. Uh, I don't know. I'm just assuming that they do. And they're probably thinking, what does this have to do with us? Shepherds and sheep and sheepfolds and so forth. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. But well, what does this mean? What is Jesus trying to get across here? It's very simple. As a matter of fact, he laid it out pretty clearly. Through Jesus. And Jesus only is salvation. Him and only Him. There are so many passages I could pull up. but Everybody knows this one from John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a damaging statement sometimes when you're trying to work with somebody, when you're trying to convert them, when you're trying to talk to them about Jesus. Once they hear a passage like that, a lot of people, they flip off the switch. No, no, no. There's a lot of ways to heaven. There's different avenues. No, there's none. Jesus is the door of the sheep. He is the only way. All others, Jesus said, are thieves and robbers. They're imposters. An imposter can mean a lot of th- a lot of different things. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. So they're following their traditions along with God's Word. It might also mean false teachers. But Jesus said they're thieves and robbers. They're imposters. Jesus said, I am the door. And if, if... If you enter in, what does he say? Look at your text. He says you shall be saved. Salvation. You shall go in and out of that gate. Freedom. Jesus of Nazareth gives us true freedom. Gives us true liberty. And that's what Jesus does. And shall find pasture. Jesus gives us salvation. Jesus gives us the liberty to make choices. And Jesus says, when you find that pasture, that's eternal life. You're going to heaven. He's really contrasting, if you will, the fake versus the real. The thief or the fakes, they don't care about the the sheep. Their, Their end is just selfishness. Selfishness. That's all they're worried about. Um, but Jesus is the real. He's not faith. And he wants the sheep to have life and have it more abundantly. As Tony does, I do also. I like to look at words and break those words down. And I like this word abundantly. The Greek here means bountifully blessings overflowing in extent. It's just overflowing. If we've got a cup here with, with, and we're pouring water, it's just overflowing. But it's more than that. It's continually flowing. It doesn't stop. So Jesus wants the sheep to have this type of, type of, type of life. He wants to be abundant, in abundance. The thief causes these blessings to go away. Because the thief's aim, his mentality is all selfishness. He doesn't care about the sheep. But we go on. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. A little phrase, The literal phrase in the original is the shepherd, the good one. The Greek words here, again, for good is interesting within this context. Let me get both, both up here. It denotes that which is beautiful, wholesome, noble, in contrast to that which is unlovely, foul, mean, and wicked. And we're not talking about physically, even though I know the second thing I, I've got here says not only good inwardly, the character of the person, the good shepherd, but that which is attractive outwardly, not the look, but the perceived goodness. Perceive. You just know that person is good. And they have good character. It's hot to I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. A good shepherd is going to give his life for his sheep. The good shepherd is going to give his life for what he has been entrusted. Because they are his sheep. And he loves them. Jesus will. He tells them, die for the sheep he's been given. He will die, and we know he did die for us. But how does a hireling look at that? How someone who's a hired hand view the sheep? You know, sometimes I have to miss uh, class at school, miss school, and get a sub. There's a lot of great subs, by the way. All right? So I'm not throwing any subs under the bus. But... Is a sub going to teach my subject like I would? And all the teachers say, nope. Probably wouldn't happen. All right? They're a hired hand. Again, like the thief or the robber, not quite as bad. Hiring is not quite as bad. But there's a different mentality about what's going to happen, what they're supposed to do. When trouble comes, they're going to run away, as the text states. Where's the loyalty? There's no loyalty with a hired hand watching the sheep. Uh, They don't care for the sheep. There's no emotional attachment. It's just a job. It's just a paycheck. Jesus says, I am the good sheep. Jesus said, I know my sheep and I've known of mine. Now, why is this statement so important within this context? And it is very important. Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the Jews, his countrymen, he loves them. Even though they're doing everything they can to take him down, he loves them. And he loves them so much, he's willing to lay his life down. Just so a relationship can exist. A relationship with them and the Father can happen. In a way, it's just like the relationship Jesus says between the Father and the Son. But there's not only that. Who else does Jesus say can have a relationship with Him? Not just the Pharisees. Not just His countrymen. Look at verse um, 16. And other sheep, Jesus says, I have. Not of this fold. Other sheep means us. People who are not Jews, people who are not his countrymen. I mentioned this earlier today, or earlier in our, in our in our lessons this morning. Um, and Jesus said there would be one fold and one shepherd. We don't, no, we're not going to these verses. It's okay, because we looked at him in depth this morning. And in Ephesians chapter two, again with verse eight. Ephesians chapter four and verse four. That's where those passages are talking about Gentiles. You were without Christ. You had no hope. You without God in the world, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. In Ephesians 4 talks about the you know, one Lord, and one body, and one baptism, and one spirit, and one hope, and one God and Father. He talks about all these ones. There's one body and one Lord. There's one. And it's Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, who makes us one. The death of Jesus was... Look at verse 17 and verse 18. Probably be proper to call something out. But anyway, try to fill in this blank. Look at 17 and 18. And the death of Jesus was, here's my word, voluntary. Look at verse 17 and 18 one more time, please. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Why does the Father love his Son? What's the text state? Because Jesus is willing to suffer the most horrible death that anyone could imagine. To be sacrificed on an altar, if you will, for our sins so he could be resurrected. To give us a hope of being resurrected someday. What commandment, then, did Jesus receive from the Father? If you hear anything else, hear this. Did Jesus have to leave heaven? I'm going on verses 17 and 18. Did Jesus have to leave heaven? Did Jesus have to give himself up to those who were trying to catch him? Did Jesus have to die? In verse 17 and 18, the answer is no. But he did anyway. And if that doesn't put you to your knees, I don't know what will. If it doesn't make your eyes swell up, I don't know what will. We know he had power to call legions of angels if he wanted to. We know in the garden he was praying, Lord, I I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but I will. Because it's your will to be done. He didn't have to do it, but he did. So Steve Hillis, a sinner, could have salvation. He didn't have to do it, but he did. So Steve Hillis, when he sins, and Steve Hillis does, can find grace and repentance again. That's a beautiful thing to a sinner like me, and probably you too. Now let's look at these verses, if you could, please. Verse 22, 19 to 21 talks about Another division over what Jesus is saying. Now look at verse 22, please. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life that they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And they try to stone him again after he makes that statement because he's saying, I'm God. But very quickly, let me try to break these verses down. Between verse 21 and 22, according to what I've studied, it's about a two-month interval between those verses. It's the Feast of Dedication. And this began during the, if you will, between the Testaments, between Malachi and between Matthew, some of the events that's happening there. Uh, and, and what it is, the Jews are fighting... Nationally, to make things right in the land, to cleanse the temple, to rededicate the temple. Hence, the Feast of Dedication. It was a national holiday. We had the Fourth of July. Well, this is a national holiday for them. As a matter of fact, it still is. anybody know what it's called today? I think it's going on right now. Actually. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. I think it started in the twenty seventh of November into the first of December. It's known as Hanukkah today. So it was held during the winter solstice. So that's sort of the time frame that's taking place. Now, Jesus walked in the wintertime at this time, around this time actually, in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now here is a (coughs) replica. I think some of you guys who have been, probably seen this before in Jerusalem. But here is a replica of the the old city in Herod's temple. And you see, uh, pointing towards Solomon's porch. And here's a better illustration of it. That's where Jesus... Late November, early December, he's walking around on Solomon's porch. Now the Jews are demanding again, Jesus quit messing around, tell us plainly who you are. So I asked the kids, they had some funny answers. The Jews demanding an answer from Jesus about his identity was, I had some ridiculous, redundant. Had Jesus already told them plainly who he was? They'd taken up stones twice to stone him. He's told them who he's already said. matter of fact, what does Jesus say? I've already told you that. I've already told you. He said, and they he didn't believe? The works that I do it's backing up what I'm saying. They bear witness. Jesus said the works he's doing bears witness of who he is. Ask the Christ. Ask the Messiah. Well, why did Jesus say those demanding an answer about his identity, they didn't believe? Look at your text. They were not his sheep. They were not part of that fold, As he called, they didn't hear his voice. Remember some of the, the things we're supposed to look at? Well, how are Jesus's sheep recognized? Here's another very important point. Look at verse 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So they hear his voice. They hear Jesus' voice. He knows them, they follow him. So that's how the sheep of Jesus are recognized. And Jesus goes on to state, and I give unto them eternal life. <clears throat> now sometimes here's where some controversy can come up. So here's another very important point I want to make. Uh, Jesus says, verse 28 and verse 29, they shall never perish. Have you ever dealt with uh, uh, some some friends that you may have, some family you may have, that is... Um, in a denomination maybe, They're, they may take verses like this and say, see, once you're saved, you're saved. Once you're saved and Jesus has a hold of you, nobody can take you. You're saved. That's it. Once you're saved, God has a hold of you and no, you can't be lost. So does, is Jesus saying, he does say, look at verse 27 28 29. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. Uh, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So does this mean that once one believes, they can never be lost? And when I say believe, I'm using it as a synecdoche. I'm using it as a part for the whole. I'm talking about because someone uh, hears the word, believes it, has penitence in their heart, confesses that awesome, awesome name of Jesus, is baptized for the remission of their sins. Does that mean they're now saved and they can't be lost? Well, remember this. Because I think this is a very important point that you cannot give your opinion. Yes, you can, but this is not a point where you give your opinion. You need to have a Bible answer ready. As first Peter chapter two, verse fifteen tells or chapter three, verse fifteen tells us. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So who will be given eternal life? who shall never perish? Who can never be plucked from the hand of Jesus? I take you back to verse 27. Look at it. Those who hear the voice of Jesus, those who obey the gospel. Those whom Jesus knows, those who have a relationship with Jesus, has a relationship with the Father. And those that follow Jesus, they stay with Jesus. They don't become a Christian and veer off. They stay on the path with Jesus. And that answers that question. Yes, you can lose your soul once you become a Christian. I give several passages. 1 Corinthians 10 comes to mind. Revelation 2 comes to mind. Several passages states you can lose your soul. And here's another example that just teaches you can. But if you do this, you hear Jesus' voice. You have a relationship with him and you remain faithful? No. Then, no. Nobody can take you from Jesus. Nobody can take you from the Father. Jesus then states the reason his sheep are safe because the Father is, quote, greater than all. So, since the Father gave the sheep to Jesus, Jesus will go to state, I and my Father are one. One in purpose. One in their interest of the sheep. The father loved the sheep, so he sent the shepherd. The shepherd died for the sheep. That was their interest. One plan. Everybody to come to repentance and be saved. Jesus made a choice. He made a choice to give his life for his sheep. He made a choice to die for us. So there is just one flock... And one shepherd. The father loves the son. Loved him so much because the son was willing to do the father's will. Even though he didn't want to be nailed to a cross, he didn't want to be spit on. He didn't want uh, the, the crown of thorns going to be uh, uh, mashed down on his head. He didn't want to go through all that. He went through humiliation of his countrymen laughing at him and spitting at him and ridiculing him. But he did. He did it anyway, and he did it for us. Now, what about us? Would you take your song books out, please? do it? The Lord has a song of invitation prepared. And as we stated this morning, you know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, with the Father. And you know if you are Following the good shepherd. You know what door you're going in and out of. You know if you're listening to the shepherd's voice or a stranger's voice and following him. You know that. So, so the question tonight is, what about us? If you need to be a Christian tonight, please don't leave this room until we talk about it at least. If you need prayers of the church... If you're hurting, like we talked about this morning, if you're not having that peace that you know you need, if you're not, if you're not, if that if you're not following that chief cornerstone, if your life is coming apart, let's talk about that too. Let's talk about it and pray about it. But you've got to make that move. So if anyone has any need at this time, do not you come on down as we sing?